friends, welcome to episode 226 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? <sighs> it's been a lot of work. Oh, man. It's just been a lot of work. Yep. And, like, I, I showed it to you earlier, but I kind of hit a, uh, a trigger moment uh this past week, like uh, two days ago, and then it hit again today. Mm-hmm. Um, one of uh, someone in the community, mm-hmm. the TTRPG community, um, and I'm I'm terrible at names. I will butcher. I think it's uh, Megan Baker, or uh, is the uh, one of the creators of uh, Powered by the Apocalypse mm-hmm. and those games. Um, is going through breast cancer, and mm-hmm. actually, uh, the good news is, what, had their surgery, uh, she had her surgery today, and she tweeted uh, after it saying she's doing all right. Oh, good, 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 good. So that that went really well. So uh, to them, I I'm glad to hear that. Having a wife who went through all of that, sure, sure, um, and and uh, going from a state of believing that we were doing preventative to handling cancer to five years later, um. And everything that's in between, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure people who are looking at the link is uh, if uh, if anybody's interested, I'm gonna, I will be posting the link up in uh, our Discord as well, um, and I may see if I can get our marketing person to uh, post it up with our, our Twitter and some other stuff um, on Meal Train for them uh, to help them out. They are doing well; their fundraiser is going exceptionally well to mm-hmm. help them. Um, but I also know the costs that come into that, regardless of how good your insurance yeah, is. Yeah, I, I looked. At, I looked at how much it was, how much they they'd earned already, and I was like, oh, they're going really well. And you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's a good start. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, so. I'll. I will be honest. Mm-hmm. I had a, uh, a a primary and spousal insurance emergency money fund for basically a list of things or cancer. Yeah. And I was like, I have or cancer. Can I get this? Right. And right. for my spouse, it was 10 grand for that instance. Now, 10 grand sounds like a lot of money. It was gone in nearly an instant mm-hmm. um, in that first year. And when when you're covering medical costs, when you're covering time away, when you're covering travel, food, all kinds of stuff that you just don't expect, it goes really fast. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I will be blatantly uh, um, uh, hard on this one. We didn't get assistance from cancer societal groups. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I didn't get dollar one from a single group. We got some information. Um, we definitely got some uh, items that were, were helpful mm-hmm. um, and some decent guidance, but there was no monetary support. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it bothered me that... Within a year of finishing the surgeries, I was getting calls at least once a week from those groups asking for donations because my name was on the cancer registry with my wife. Right. And I'm like, you're going to call me for money after literally doing nothing for us. And also, you're a cancer organization. You should understand the monetary strain I'm currently under. Still. Still, like it's a year it, later after all these medical costs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. like no, nothing changed, and we're—I mean, we're five years out, still doing medication, still managing, still doing well. Sure, but like I—I I have a strong understanding of what they're going through, mm-hmm. and I will say this from the deepest part of my heart: this isn't easy, no matter what the insurance level, no matter where you yeah. are. Yeah. So if if you have it, and it's something you're thinking about, if you've ever played a game that is based on Powered by the Apocalypse. Try and help. 
Mm-hmm. That's all I'm asking. Take a moment, read over it, make your decisions, try and help. Sure. That that that's my my news update for the day. So, uh, that said, we have a, uh, b- a big long weekend of gaming ahead of us. Oh my god, that came out of nowhere. We uh, <laughs> we we've all been just trying. To, oh man, like scheduling is just the final boss of any TTRPG. I'm glad I'm not running a game right now. <laughs> yeah, really. And uh, but uh, you, you, graciously, you're opening your house for not one but two this two weekend. Two games. Um, Sean is running his Nova Praxis game uh, on Saturday. Yes, yes, very much and looking then, forward to that. Uh, I I arranged my game for Monday because I was not doing Sunday. Like we were not going to do back to back. Back to back would have been very hard. Yeah. So uh, uh, again, graciously, you've opened your house for mm-hmm. us again on Monday yep. for my uh, Savage Worlds Tamriel game. Um, and uh, I I I think after I got it scheduled, there was a moment of relief where I was like, oh good, we finally agreed on a mm-hmm. on a date. I got six adults all to agree <laughs> to the same the same date, yes. and I felt like I felt like a queen for about thirty seconds. And I went, oh, that's one week away. <laughs> Welp, yeah. I should probably write something. <laughs> get get an idea. But I will say, I am I am I, I guess I could say I'm proud. I'm glad to see, and I said this before, that uh, I like that you have come to adapt your sit yourself into the system that is Savage World so much easier. Yeah, because I, I was trying to think of a clever way to handle um, one of the situations that's going to come up next game. Yeah. Um, and there's just a particular feel, a particular type of encounter I'm trying to design. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do it uh, in a like a dungeon crawly way. Like I didn't want to have to like make a map and have you guys like having to check for traps and stuff like that. Yeah. You know? cl- classic, you know, uh, OSR almost. Right. Like that's, that's I, not, I, I didn't, I don't feel like we need that level of detail, you no. know, and I don't need, you know, creeping paranoia of literally every step we find and remove traps, take a step, find and remove traps, you know, things like that. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Savage Worlds is fast, fun, furious. It's designed to, uh, to, to take complex encounters and break them down into some very easy mechanics that are, that, that, that make them go quickly, but make them feel like they have depth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now in the past, like you said, I have come to you going like, Oh God, Rob, what do I do? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> give me a clue. <laughs> this time around I went, Oh God, Rob, what do I, wait a minute. I think I got it. Yeah, and you. <laughs> what do you think the way... of these mechanics? Without getting into particulars of how they're going to play out and like what the story behind any of them is, if I did this and I did this and I did this, trying to evoke this feel, mm-hmm. do you think this would work? And you yeah. went, "What about this?" And I'm like, "I would handle it like this." And you were like, "I don't see any problems with this." No, I think I had two questions really. Yeah, and it was, and there were more concerns than like gaping problems. Oh, with the, there with were the... no gaping problems with it. Yeah, there were absolutely no gaping problems. But it was just the devil's advocate questions of like, okay, these are the two things that I want to remind you about just to see if they're in your headspace. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you were fine with it. I think and... every. I can't honestly see a way. And in in all honesty, uh, I would say this is that I think your craftiness in this should be documented. Oh, okay. I really okay. do because I think I think people in the Savage World community would really want to look at what you were like, what the design of the encounter like narratively is, mm-hmm. how you came about with the solution that you did, and what you had to think about for your players, and then finally, how did it execute? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think okay. that's an important breakdown because again, encounter design in a narrative environment when you're not doing as simple as map 
blocks move from point A to point B is thing in point B roll dice. Right, right, like, right. Uh, I'm not going to say that that isn't like board game mechanics, but it's effectively board game it's mechanics. board game mechanics, yeah, you sure. Know, and in this you're like, okay, I have to esoterically think about an innocuous space that involves creatures and a little bit of challenge and opportunities at the same time as think about individual characters' narration. Like all of that comes into play when you're trying to think about this bullshit. Sure, and sure. your brain just goes, <laughs> mm-hmm. But you've you've come to find that groove, and that's wonderful to see. Yeah, well, we'll let it we'll let it play out this weekend. And I'll, I'll throw it up on Reddit and yeah. uh, uh, in the, uh, the 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 Storyteller Conclave Discord this weekend. And uh, I, I think you totally should. Uh, we'll do a, we'll do a post mortem on it. Yeah, and, yeah, good teardown, good teardown. Cool. So, so that's gaming news. Yeah, I think that's about all the gaming news right now. I mean, besides the fact that we're still playing Baldur's Gate and enjoying every moment oh of it. My God, Baldur's Gate three is so amazing. I'm still not going to solo play it. I'm just going to continue playing it on the co-op level. I'm enjoying too much of that. The co-op is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like it's there are still limitations to it, but I still find the co-op uh, increasingly fun, more and more fun. But I also find that like I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm comfortable with my character being who my character is. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of figuring, like, we haven't really played all that much. I think we've done, like, four sessions so far? Yeah, but they're long sessions. I mean, I get you the wrong, long sessions, but when in, in the course of gaming, they're really not that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, As a whole. But just in that, I'm like, oh, it's coming up to, like, the fifth session. It's feeling like a real thing. Yeah, this is about the time when you start getting adapted with that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, that's hey, interesting it's a campaign, how that works yeah. out. Yeah, and I love that my uh, like I'm playing a barbarian, uh, half orc barbarian monk. Yeah, which is great. Uh, uh, yeah. With with tavern brawler, and mm-hmm. so I just I rage and then I just start punching people. But uh, when you're very I, good at that. When I need a ranged option, uh, my character has turned into the evil midnight bomber. What bombs at midnight? Yeah, you kind of moved away from throwing everyone and starting to throw objects. Well, I got a magic item ring that allows me to get like bonus damage when I with thrown objects, mm-hmm. and uh, I think. Tavern Brawler also gives me bonuses on on thrown objects as well, I or improvised s- weapons. That sounds about right. Uh, something like that. But anyway, so like the thro- throwing things became a thing, mm-hmm. and so I was just like, everybody, give me your alchemist fire and your smoke powder bombs and your everything else. Mm-hmm. Anything that I can throw that makes a darn bit of difference. I think I've I've given you like the wiser wyvern poison flasks and stuff like that too, because I was just kind of assumed that as a rogue you'd be coating your weapons with it. But um, I might ask for those back. You know what? Um. I'm going to start doing that because mm-hmm. I'm finding out that most of my arrows are area effect, and uh, we have two players in our group who really like running in, and that makes it very like I get one shot, and that's it. I, I have to go punch them. Wrong. I, I understand that you have to go punch them. I I do get muscle that. wizard casts fists. Right. So so I'll get maybe one of my arrows to go fly off. What I do need is more of those multi shot arrows. Those are amazing. Those are amazing. Yeah. All right, but enough. Enough about <laughs> this D and D game. game. Oh my god! No, but it's so good as a video game. It is way better. My, as a D- my biggest problem with D and D as a tabletop RPG is that it plays like a video game. Now the good news about the video game version of it, exactly, <laughs> is that it plays super clean. Yeah, um, it does play pretty darn clean. All right, so tonight we are talking about scum and villainy. Yes, mostly the villainy part, less of the scum stuff. So, yeah, and not, um, not not the not the Blades in the Dark campaign setting, but no, the, uh, definitely not. Uh, but but just just villainy in general. Um, what makes a good villain? Yeah. How many how many times do you suppose you have heard the uh, the conversation uh, about like from, from from new storytellers or people starting new campaigns, even if they're an experienced storyteller, um, where they say things like, uh, 
all right, so, you know, we've got this character and that character, and here's the world building, and it's, you know, it's good, and it's it's complex enough to at mm-hmm. least support the beginning of a campaign and whatnot. And you're like, okay, cool. And they're like, I don't know where to go from here, though, but I've got this villain he wants to destroy the kingdom. And you're like, okay, who is this villain? Why does he want to destroy the kingdom? What is he hoping to get out of it? And you're like, and, and, and the answer is, oh, I don't know. I haven't thought that far yet. Yeah, all the time. All the time. Like, I, I see a lot of people who create some amazing worlds. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got the steampunk design, and there's magic is, is everywhere, and people are basically second-guessing it. Like, like it's just technology. It's like like iPods and, like, you know, and, and shit like that that, like, nobody even thinks about it. Okay, great. Uh, except for it's in turmoil because of a war. Oh, okay. What's the war over? I don't know. But there's this villain who's trying to basically stop magic. Why does he want to stop it? I don't know. And and then they just move on. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All of these are exceptionally important parts of your world building. Right. Like, like well, let's let's take a minute and roll back a little bit here and let's figure out. Well, I think he's got like a tragic backstory where somebody wronged him with magic. I'm like, okay, that's great okay, and that's all. A, that's a good start. But yeah. we need like you need to figure these things out so you know how to keep your plot moving. You yeah. know? Yeah. You know, or or how many times do you get this? I really want to have a character like the Joker. Mm-hmm. Like, I want a villain like the Joker in my game. Okay, well, like, you don't just insert him into a world. Right, right. You know. Like, what are you what are you hoping to accomplish? Like, what type of story are you trying to tell with this character who's like the Joker? You know, how are you hoping your players react to him? What sort of reactions are you trying to get from them? You know? Right. So, that's kind of one of the things that breathed life into this discussion was that I think there's, like, when we first started to have discussions about villainy and what makes good villains, we've kind of circled this topic and actually hit it a few times mm-hmm. but we've never really done a deep dive on like dissecting actual villains yeah and, and yeah. showing what values they have and why and one of the things that we we graced over last time was the concept of the monster and i kind of want to dissect that ever so slightly more but also talk to why it is challenging oh sure sure absolutely um so yeah. let, let's start like we normally do and define villains sure um, I think categorically, they if you if you go to an encyclopedia or anything, you'll find roughly this: mm-hmm. a cruelly malicious person who is involved in or devoted to wickedness or crime, scoundrel, a character in a play or a novel, or like who con- constitutes an important evil agency in the plot. Now, there's two parts of that that I think that are the important chunks as far as we're concerned, mm-hmm. which is that they are involved in or devoted to wickedness Mm -hmm. and i think that's the defining is the is the most defining part of that identity yeah yeah um the second is is that they're an important evil agency in the plot all those words are important in that order i I, I, yeah (laughs) i think agency is doing a lot of lifting here. it really is um because you know it's it's important to remember that the villain is a character correct and the villain and like any other character they should be reactive they should have motivations Mm -hmm. they should have wishes desires fears hopes in most narrative games um, like Seventh C does this. They mm-hmm. they have a specific position. They're not just a they're not an NPC. They're mm-hmm. not just a pawn on the table. Um, like villain spelled with a capital V. Correct. In correct. Seventh C. And in in even in um, Savage Worlds, Savage, they're wild, they're, yeah, they're wild cards, which is the same classification as a character. Mm-hmm. So they have that same weight of of mechanic. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and that should tell you enough about how they are different than like a bear. Yeah. Or a beholder yeah. or something. The the only the only part of this definition, um, as you've written it, that I would take that I would take uh, uh, issue with is that it leads with a cruelly malicious person. And whereas I believe a villain should be doing something harmful or wrong, mm-hmm. I don't think cruelty or malice are necessarily required. There is a lot to be said about carelessness, mm-hmm. callousness, mm-hmm. things like that. Um Cruelty and malice, to me, speak to intent. Yes. Sadism. Yes. I wish, I wish to cause harm. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I think there are a lot of villains who are just doing what they think is right, and those losses are acceptable. Yes. I, I would agree with that statement. I think the term villain in this sense is trying to carry a lot of the definition of when you become one sure versus like the grades between i am just an antagonist an antagonist versus a villain versus a monster like those are grades Mm -hmm. and they 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 push in a direction i mean to to be clear literally speaking a villain is always an antagonist an antagonist is just someone who stands against the protagonist Mm -hmm. who's the main character of the story and that doesn't necessarily have to be a good guy right so we're, we're taking that step into villain right but we're going to be incorporating people who have done things that are definitely malicious but maybe not with full intent sure sure so um and and I think that leads us interestingly into our next point is because mm-hmm. sometimes intent is at least in their own twisted mind very good mm-hmm. you know exceptionally um recently I saw a clip of and I I'm I'm sure that you know this is not attributed specifically to him but uh Tom Hiddleston was talking about uh, why he thinks Loki is such a good villain yes um and he said it's because he believes he that Loki is the hero of his own story. Which is a great way of looking at any villain. If you, you your villain must believe that they are in the right, that they are justified in their actions. Yeah, and I, I think that's, I think this is the, I, I would cite that this is the golden rule of, of villain building, especially okay. for story game for for narratives. Is so many times we hear storytellers talking about how like, oh yeah, my villain wants to destroy the world. Well, why? Callously Cause, destroy Because they 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 hate it. Okay, but what right, what are they getting out of it? Like mm-hmm. what what thought process, what motivations led up to them saying, you know what? I've decided after doing the math, destroying the world is the best move for me. Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. Now, mind you, there are there are ways that will get you there. Mm-hmm. I've I've heard stories of like, you know, okay, there is a uh Maybe this is Galactus. I think I'm thinking of. Keep going on. A a a um world eating entity. Yes, Galactus that, is one of those that is going to eat our world. Mm-hmm. And if they do so, it will, um, it will g- allow them to either maintain power mm-hmm. and momentum, mm-hmm. or will give them extra power. Mm-hmm. So if we prune this planet, sure, we'll destroy eight billion people. But it'll get it out of the way of Galactus, and maybe he'll starve to death by the time it'll. It won't be. It won't be as enjoyable, and they may actually divert themselves or and ignore it completely. Sure, sure. Yeah. And and it may it may in the end lead to stopping this entity and saving that planet and that planet and that planet if we destroy this one. Yeah. Or or and you it's take tragic, the hit- but we need to. Or you take the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy version, where it's just like 
It's in our way. It's just in our way. The gla- you should have looked at the you know the galactic charts. It was literally been planned for years. Like your planet's going to be destroyed. This has been scheduled for a hyperspace bypass. For, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gone. Not our fault. You couldn't develop warp travel and make it down to Alpha Centauri <laughs> to see the plans and the city planning. You know. Yeah, exactly. And but it, it's those types of things where it's just like it's justified. Yeah. This is this is the right thing to do. Exactly. So I I mean they're, they're, I'm not saying that destroying the world is never justified mm-hmm. in 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 a twisted sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying is that my my villain wants to end the world should not be where you start. Mm-hmm. Right? Um and, and even if it is you need to figure out why what leads to your hero to to your to your villain deciding that that is in the best interest of at least themselves mm-hmm. if not you know everybody as a whole or yeah. something like that yeah most villains think they're doing the right thing yeah now this doesn't mean that they're not ruthless in doing that right thing sure and in fact that's what sets that bar to villainy exactly and this is the next part ruthless mhm people misuse this word mhm a lot of people think that ruthless means cruel. Mm, not necessarily. Not a ruthless person sees a point in the distance and says, "That's where I'm going," and they don't care who they step on to get there. Yeah, because they're just heading that direction. Right. It's not cruelty. It is callousness. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. It, it it it. It is a disregard. Exactly. It is an absolute disregard for Ruth. In, in indifference to the costs of achieving that goal. Correct. I don't know what Ruth did, but <sighs> Ruth is clearly not involved in this. Not involved at all. We are <laughs> completely ruthless. That's right. But the whole idea is, is that it's they may not even want to hurt anybody on that path. Sure. It's just the cost of doing business. Right. Like, you are in my way. Please just don't be in my way. Right. You could, I could just ask. That seems easier. Yeah. Less energy expended than actually actively hurting you. Yeah. Can you please move? Yeah. You're in my way. Yeah. You're not moving. I'm going to give you one final warning. I'm even going to give you the, gr- the grace of saying, this is going to hurt. Right. If you don't move. Right. Because I'm going through you. Are you threatening me? No, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's a statement of fact. It's a statement of intent. Yeah. This is happening, whether you like it or not. Well, I'm going to stop you. Okay, that tells me where you stand with this. All right, here we go. Yeah. You know, that's a ruthless person. Yeah, and and it's it's indifferent to their own feelings about it because they know what they have to do. Mm-hmm. Now, if this reminds you of someone, reminds you of someone else, there are many determined heroes that are this. Yeah, sure. They don't see themselves any differently. Mm-hmm. And that's the point, is if you can remind yourself that this ruthlessness, this callousness, is dedication to the cause that they are emboldened on completing, then you are, you are on your way to making a better villain. Mm-hmm. You're right there in that path. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think this is a good point to talk about where, where they sit in plot, because that is part of the agency. Sure, sure. And I think that I think that defines the the agency of them within the story. Mm-hmm. Remembering that they are characters. Yeah, exactly. So uh, ultimately, like I think the the important thing about writing villains, one of the important things, these are all important things. All of this is important. Um, is viewing them like a character, mm-hmm. right? So we talked about giving you know having their motivation and stuff like that, but also like they have agency. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be doing something mm-hmm. and 
it helps if you kind of view them like their own adventuring party. Yes. You know, I agree with that statement. I'm just trying to think like, okay, if, if they were, if they were a player character, what would they be doing right now? Mm -hmm. You know, um, think about their motivations, think about their actions, think about their plans, Mm -hmm. think about what they, what they want to accomplish. Think about what lines they're unwilling to cross Mm -hmm. to get there and think about what they are willing to cross to get there, Mm -hmm. you know? And what you end up with is if you think about them as their own dynamic moving piece in the story mm-hmm. with wants and motivations and, and goals, you end up with um, essentially three different sort of options. ways, options that, yeah. your, that your plot can play out. You've either got a villain is mm-hmm. striving for a goal, they want to get something, and the heroes oppose them. Yep. A uh, good example, the mummy. The mummy, yeah. Yep. The, uh, the the villain wants to resurrect Anoxum... Anoxum... I can do this. Um, Anoxinamun? Sounds right. And kind of become human himself again. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, he will be this plague upon the world, blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. So we can't allow him to do this. Right. So the heroes have to rise up and stop him. They have to figure out what he's going to do and try and stop him. Exactly. The villain wants something. The heroes have to oppose him. Okay. Most... Most heroic stories, most comic book stories are this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman hears about something, he tries to figure it out and stops it. The Joker's doing some bullcrap and the bat signal goes off and... There's a a mystery and discovery. Bruce Wayne has to get off of his duff and go stop him, yeah. Right. Uh, Most of the Marvel movies are this. Mm -hmm. Something is going on, we have to stop said thing from happening. Sure. Okay. You know, whether... and, And it's funny that most of those stories are start with a mystery... That mm-hmm. then gets solved to the end of stopping whatever the thing is. Oh, it was the villain. Well, why did they do this? That's the next mystery. Oh, they want to do this bad thing. Well, we should stop that from happening. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's that's your typical villainy story. I, I would say about 80, probably 80% of your stories are like this. Yeah, and they're the most obvious ones. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, now, your second type is the exact opposite. Your heroes are striving for a goal, and the villain rises to oppose them. Yes. Okay. So these ones are a little more rare. We had to do some kind of thinking about these. Because oftentimes you confuse this with the final one, and we'll get to that one. Right. Um. So what I think what you're trying to what you, what you'll find with, uh, with with a couple of exceptions is that a lot of these stories are about upsetting the status quo. Mm-hmm. Okay. The heroes in these stories are typically rebels against mm-hmm. an existing evil status quo. Mm-hmm. Um. And the reason we say that is because when the heroes act, the villains are in a state of rest mm-hmm. and only become part of the story to oppose the heroes because the heroes have acted in a way that the villains find objectionable. Yes. Okay. So one of the big examples we can think of is the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. right? Katniss is the hero of that story. The um, status quo is the Hunger Games. The, well, the status quo is the... the, the uh, the central, the central government—I forgot what it's called—but like yeah. the, the 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 city that where everybody's rich and opulent and yes. stuff like that. Um, and it's only because she starts that rebellion mm-hmm. that uh, she becomes the Mockingjay. That all of a sudden now, uh, President Snow—I think is his name. Yes, President yeah. Snow. Um, 
you know, starts needs getting, to control. Needs to needs to try to reassert control, and mm-hmm. he becomes a villain at that point. We don't know who he is at the beginning Mm-mm. because he's not important at the beginning. No, he doesn't he doesn't need to be involved because nothing is happening until the rebellion starts. Right until the heroes begin acting. Right that that the 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 status quo is the problem right up until the end. Yep. Regardless of how that status quo is being defined. Yep. Um, I think the the funny one which we both recognized and had to slap on here is Scott Pilgrim. Because mm-hmm. all he wants to do is date a girl. That's all he wants to do. And villain after villain are trying to stop him from doing that. <laughs> Everybody wants to date Ramona Flowers. It is true. It is true. That's true. Now now she's in Ahsoka. Go figure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> doing uh, a great job. But yeah, you know, having to, having to, having to battle all of her evil exes. Um, yes. And yeah, then absolutely. Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven was an interesting one. So, like, I, I wonder does does this put most Blades in the Dark games uh, in in squarely in this category? I of, think it very uh, much could of the the heroes acting and the villains rising to oppose them because they're being acted upon. I, I definitely could see it that way. Mm-hmm. I could I could also see many of the games being like the first one where they're they're trying to stop something from happening. It's very where the players are the reactive or characters the reactive I'm side. I'm saying though that is is a game that's set up as a heist game where the heroes are a proactive mm-hmm. uh, uh, measure. And there's not a lot of like defense being played in that game. That right. I, as, as I see it, I'm sure it happens. I but... mean, Shadowrun is the same thing too. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly, so, most Shadowrun games where you're you're a band of dudes trying to do a thing, and you know, mm-hmm. in your cyberpunk game, you know, our, our Ahsoka uh, uh, security says, "Hey, please stop hacking our Gibson mm-hmm. and killing our security droids." Yep, yep. And so, so you have to recognize it being a break from the status quo by the characters. Yes. So yes, the final one is probably the one that gets muddled. But is def- definitely the thing that happens the pretty much the other forty percent of the time, and that is the heroes and villains are striving for the exact same goal and are racing to be the first to control it. Yeah, whether it's holding a MacGuffin at the right time or destroying a MacGuffin, mm-hmm. uh, like Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mexican is the one you brought up because the Mexican is the gun involved in the process. It is the MacGuffin of yeah, the story, and there's like three or four different. Uh, groups, peoples, individuals, all trying to essentially get this rare artifact gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, very few people truly understand what's actually going on, you know? Yeah, but any time where you've got a situation where there's an apex ending that everyone is trying to get to at a hurried pace, uh, you're really kind of stepping into this realm. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that you won't have give and take in both of the other two stories as part of it, but the end, you, you, when you stand back and look at it from the 5,000-foot view, they're both racing to the same finish. Sure, sure. And, you know, originally, too, you, you, you had brought up Lord of the Rings as a, you know, heroes are striving for a goal and the villains try to oppose them. Because mm-hmm. um, it looks very much like that. And it, and it does. Um, and But I, I told you I thought it belonged in this category Simply, and, and, and I, I want to voice this one out mm-hmm. just so people can see the math behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because uh, the the idea is that if the heroes hadn't acted, the villains would be at home drinking a beer. But that's not the case. But that's not the case. The ring wraiths are out doing their thing. The you know Mordor is constantly churning out orcs, et cetera, et cetera. They're marching people, yeah. marching, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like. They're all looking for the ring. They are active participants in 
doing, you know, causing problems and motion in the story. Right. And the heroes, it's it's all basically about who controls the ring. Mm-hmm. It's not about the end goal. They both don't want to destroy it, but they both want to control the ring for their own goals. Yep. The heroes want to destroy it, and the villains want to wear it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, yep. So, the the great love triangle. But I, I do think that regardless of these, mm-hmm. the statement stands, the villain acts as a moving obstacle for the heroes. Yes. No matter where, which one of those three that it sits in. Mm-hmm. You know, which one of those lines. Um, because the villain is reacting to actions that are happening exactly even in the race they're reacting they have their own motivations Mm -hmm. but it's always a reactional push sure to keep the story and plot dynamic and moving exactly because again we 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 come back to that word agency and i think this Mm -hmm. is why again why why that that was doing so much heavy lifting in that definition yeah because the villain is a character with motivations they should think about things they should act in intelligent ways that are, you know, that that show engagement with what's happening and a logical emotional response and react to things that the heroes do. Yeah. Goblins sit in a cave waiting to be murdered by PCs. Mm-hmm. That's not what a villain does. Exactly. So. Exactly. That is not what a villain does. So the questions that often get asked can kind of be brought down to two things. Because you have to answer, if to answer these, you have to break down a lot more, which we've already done in many yeah, ways. And that yeah. is, you have to know what motivates your villain. What is what is really driving them? Mm-hmm. Now, oftentimes, it's a simple sin. It's greed. It's wrath. It's a particular philosophy, maybe. Sure. sure. Um, it's their it's their hardened past that has pointed them in a direction. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's uh, bigotry, racism, um, uh, equality revolution um all of those things can sit within the scale uh trauma is a pretty common one too Mm -hmm. where it's like a bad thing happened to me so i'm going to take control of a situation Mm -hmm. in an overreactive and oppressive way to make sure this never happens again right not realizing they themselves have become the abuser you know right but to answer that you need to set all of those things framed you need to figure out what those things are yeah yeah what is their their statement of motivation Mm -hmm. and then the second question that comes to that is how do their acts communicate their motivation because regardless of what you're doing it this isn't a novel we don't get to see their other side. I sometimes show it in my 7C games. I get to show the glimpses. Right. But the truth of the matter is in most traditional tabletop games, you never get to see those other moves. So the thing is, is that the actions, and that is the key capital A acts yes. of your villain, they have to act in a way that shows their motivations. You, the last thing you should think about doing, and I, I say this with all humility and honesty, is explained through your through narrative vocalization by your villain a monologue to your players of why they're doing what they're doing. Yep. It happens in movies all the time, but in truth it should be unnecessary. Yep. You should be able to follow the dots of their actions to go, "Oh my gosh, this is what they're doing and why." Show, don't tell. Exactly. Is 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 tantamount here. Like you man you you have to have your villains act in accordance with what they are feeling, what they are intending, where they're mm-hmm. coming from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely have to do it. And gi- give your players some credit. Mm-hmm. Like, be subtle about it. 
mm-hmm. you know, but be consistent. Yeah. I have been consistently amazed every single game session. Um, uh, I, I have, I've been dropping little subtle hints about, you know, how things are unfolding with offhanded comments from some of my NPCs mm-hmm. and foreshadowing things that are coming up. And at least one of my players has gone, wait, does that mean this? Mm-hmm. Very good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. And they, they ask good questions. They mm-hmm. show appropriate concern. Trust your players. Mm-hmm. Trust your players, but role play them like whole people. And you will see those things come out. Yeah. And you can run the risk of doing things that are not overt enough and and not showing your hand enough. Mm-hmm. We do it all the time at the table as our own characters. Yeah. And sometimes that requires a conversation to come out. But as the storyteller, you have the option of having other NPCs explain things. Yes. Like, yes. There's nothing that says that when a group gets to a town that's been decimated and it's literally got dead people all around that they don't find five of the guy's guards strung up and one of them still alive, like wrapped to a post Mm -hmm. with fuel at its feet, like waiting for lightning to strike or something like that, crying out for help. And you're like, wait, that's one of his henchmen. Mm -hmm. Like, well, what the heck are you doing here? Like, he raised the town. Did somebody get you? No. He he did this. We weren't supposed to do this. He wanted the town captured, and then he came and saw what we had done, and we we did it wrong. Yeah, you know, please, please, like you killed all these people. Like, well, we 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 thought that's what he'd want. Like, we thought we were doing it right. Mm-hmm. Now he's got gas at his feet. Yeah, and clearly the villains left that up for you. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I, I killed these four. Because they did the worst. He tortured and killed the other three lieutenants, but he, t- he left me alive and told me I should tell my story to everyone else so they would know. That's you right. Know? It's like, like, you know, and gave you the choice. Here's the matches. Yeah. There's a torch literally burning next to this guy. All you gotta do is knock it over. Yep. You know? Yep. And the it's those types of moments that you're setting, the, you're setting them in the place of saying, I didn't want this to happen. Yeah. I mean, or you could you could do it the other way around too, where you can have people like, you know, the the old the the old retired adventurer, or or you know, someone who's like in an advisory position mm-hmm. or something like that, going like, yeah, you know, twenty years ago I was an adventurer like you, and I I knew him back then. He was a good person, but you know, I just really feel kind of responsible for all the villainy he's doing now because. Well, there was this thing that happened, and mm-hmm. he was never the same afterwards. And yeah. You're like, oh wow, okay, we just got some backstory on him. Yeah. You know, yeah, now I... we kind of understand why he's a villain. We don't condone it, but I get it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't push him. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the thing is that you can find all the buttons through story, through action. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can help you sympathize with the villain or have the character sympathize with the villain, which is honestly hilarious and wonderful within a story because it adds that extra level of flavor. Oh, sure. You know. But a sympathetic villain is also someone who's multidimensional, though. You know, you know? Who, who maybe didn't expect this to spiral to this level. Mm-hmm. Now it's out of control and they just have to keep moving. Yeah. Like, sorry, I'm dedicated. This is tragic that these things happen. I'm ruthless. Exactly. I am driving towards my end goal with no regard towards those that I step on. And I, I want to say that this... This helps frame that I'm I was an antagonist, def- and by definition now I'm a villain. Mm-hmm. 
but I haven't become a monster. Yeah. And I think that's... That's the, that's that's the lead the, in we're looking for. That's yeah. the little turn point there. Uh, because they're using those actions to define their... To, to help understand their motive... Help you understand their motivations and mm-hmm. where they're going with things. It's when that those motivations push to an extreme that we lose sight of of this villain and they turn into something more than just a villain and that's a monster. And I kind of want to step into that to open with. And yeah, I, yeah. I I do this because and I'm my thesis statement is this. I do not think for the most part they are a good idea for tabletop games. I think they are good for specific instances, mm-hmm. short games like we talked about, like you had said earlier. Um and I definitely think that uh they they fit in a special place like literally the alien in aliens where you're well, those, defining those are like literal monsters though you know right but I, I and i say like that there mm-hmm. are characters like there are definitely villains who sit in the monster character who who category who would make for very good stories but those are very stressful suspense stories mm-hmm. where literally at the end of the story nothing good comes of it you're not going to, you should not feel like you won the monster. Oh, yeah, no, there absolutely. There is so much collateral that's going to come out of that. Because, again, they have agency and direction. They're not just a beast in the woods. They're intelligent. Mm-hmm. They have a reason for what they're doing, regardless of how messed up that reason is. Yeah. So let's let's take a step into them to understand where does that line break. Right. Okay, so... the. The monster is the step beyond villain, okay? And that is basically when the villain stop, drops pretense of trying to be the hero of their own story, mm-hmm. stops believing they're in the right, mm-hmm. and understands that they're in the wrong, mm-hmm. and revels in it. Doesn't stop him at all. Um, one of the big qualifiers for this um, is is basically believing that they're beyond redemption. Okay. Um, I think that's a that's a turning point you see in a lot of in a lot of stories where the monster is or where the villain becomes the monster, mm-hmm. um, and that is the point where they're like, nope, I have gone too far. I I can't be saved. Yet I still want my goal. I understand what I'm doing is is wrong. So you know what? I'm going to lean into it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to double down, and I'm going to become a horrible, horrible, horrible thing unburdened by things like remorse mm-hmm. or thoughts of redemption. In fact, the fact that I am not thinking about remorse or redemption at this point is very freeing for me. Yeah. Because those things were holding me back. They were making me hesitate. Mm-hmm. But now, now that I understand that I am a horrible person, I can just go ahead and be horrible. Yeah. And get the thing that I want and hurt everybody and I can accept that. And a lot of times authors in novels and, and even in movies will use that as a justification of why it is okay that the hero, that the heroes destroy the villain. Yeah. Yeah. And legitimately it works. It makes you feel okay about it. Sure. Sure, absolutely. They... When when the villain looks you in the eye and goes, "I can't be redeemed. I won't be stopped." Until I'm dead. You'll have to kill me. You'll have to kill me. Okay. Okay. I I mean, you, I wasn't going to, but you kind of talked me into it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're so sure about it, I don't feel bad now. Yep. 
you know? And as an audience, we look at that and say, oh, that's okay. That's justified. Yeah. So. Um, I think one of the, uh, uh, Sean, Sean, uh, has just posted a gif of just geese in, in the live chat. And I think. Assaulting someone. Yeah. I think he understands the assignment. Yeah. I think, I think we've been accepted. (laughs) Peace was never an option. Right. But like, we look at somebody like an ultimate villain like Darth Vader. Uh Uh-huh. And it's it is that point where Vader tries to accept that he's the monster. Yeah, and can't. He he can't cross that he line. He thinks he's the monster, and that's the thing. Like he gives a whole like Luke is like, Dad, you're you know I see good in you. It's in there. You just gotta try for it. And he's like, No, I'm too far gone. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just this thing now. Uh, Darth Vader killed Anakin Skywalker. The the dude you're looking for in here. Mm-hmm. Address not known. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing with his black armor and a black soul underneath it, lost to the dark side long ago. Stop trying. You can't save me. Mm-hmm. I am the monster. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, well, suit yourself. And in the end, he ends up redeeming him because mm-hmm. Vader was full of crap, essentially, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and it turns out, yeah, he actually did have a little scrap of goodness in him, and he did care. It was with his dying breaths, but he did, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. and Luke Luke succeeded in in in, in redeeming him. Yeah. But that whole speech about, you know, I I, I can't be saved. I'm I'm gone to the dark side. Mm-hmm. That he gives him before they go in to see the emperor is. Mm-hmm. The, the the monster manifesto. Yes. 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 Now, I, I'm going to throw out some common things that are presented about monsters in sure. general. These are common media presentations. It helps frame things, and that is is that monsters typically um, have power, whether it's physical, financial, status. But the key to it is that it can never be compared to the protagonists. Mm-hmm. It is beyond them. Way beyond the protagonist. Like, you know, even if they level, even if they push, even if they uh even if they, they, they do all of the things they need to reach that point, they're never gonna get there. Mm-hmm. Because at any time they're always just one other one one level higher, mm-hmm. you know, in what they're doing. It has to be overwhelming to a terrifying state. So that this the moment that they walk into that scene, tension isn't building it's there yeah when the doors open and the monster is in the room and you realize you don't have a choice but to walk in that room you're it it shouldn't even be a how are we going to handle this it should just be that tense butt puckering moment of like what's going like, to happen oh he's here <laughs> yeah uh yeah and, and i think that the, the the real reason for this in in most games is because once you've presented a villain as the monster um i think most of us are going to intrinsically understand that, like, killing that character is going to be the only way to stop their wrath, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you if you make them approachable, if mm-hmm. you make them confrontable mm-hmm. um, in, in a lot of ways, uh, that's exactly what the, what the heroes will do. And you're going to end up with one of those situations where they, they're like, the villain starts to monologue and someone just says, I put an arrow through his face, you know? Yeah. Azula in uh, Avatar The Last Airbender yeah. is that character because they also add the unreasonable chaos of their motivations. Yes, Azula the, was a phenomenal monster. Thank she, you for bringing her up. She can literally sit on a beach and have a lovely conversation with everybody. 
but there is nothing to say that someone walking up and presenting her the wrong cup of tea couldn't literally get lit on fire. Yeah. Like, to incineration levels. Yes. And no one would question that she did it. And she'd be like, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that that is that is that unreasonable tension sets mm-hmm. into that. Also, the dedication mm-hmm. in every step, every movement they make, whether it's a breath that they're taking for for to just a pause, whether it's a a, a destruction of something, everything pushes to that level to that motivation that they have. Yeah. And a, that's it. A monster has basically shed all other pretense. Yeah. They're they, not trying to be human anymore. They're they don't need to go to check be... on something. <laughs> right. They're not trying to be normal. They're not concerned with, you know, with things. They're just they're just at that point they're driven because they've snapped. They've gone so mm-hmm. far over the edge. Mm-hmm. Like they'll dedicate tons of resources without a thought. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that that's not real. Yeah. It's not it's not even they lose an arm they don't care yeah and that's why they're dangerous because they have nothing to lose anymore the other thing about a monster specifically that helps set them apart from a villain is is that prior to the protagonist even meeting them there is a history of evil and darkness and crap that precedes them so that when the protagonists do meet them it's not a pleasant moment it is a i know the crap that i'm about to step into oh crap that's the thing. That's the monster. Mm. Not a, I'm prepared for this, or the, oh, yeah, I had a conversation. Oh, that was him? No, it should never be that. A monster should always be the, oh, yeah, we heard about this butcher who literally leveled a town uh, because they, you know, because someone dis, somebody said something improper to him at the front about his cloak, mm-hmm. you know, and he is all about his image, right? And then, you know, weeks later, you hear another story about something else that happened. You know, they didn't have red roses, you know. Yeah. And so he literally cut the heads off of everyone in town so that there would be red all over the town. And then the next town you come to, everyone is tensely quiet and attending to the needs of someone who's in the inn. Mm-hmm. You know who's in the inn. There isn't even and, a question in your mind. And you see, like, three bundles of red roses, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's those moments that there's never a question. You already are prepared for the terror that's about to come. I think my biggest advice about, uh, about running a monster in your game is that at, at the point that a villain has become a monster, they are no longer... Um, we, we talked a lot about agency mm-hmm. and how how your villain is a character mm-hmm. becoming the monster is the point at which you need to kind of stop thinking about it that way because reason has left the building mm-hmm. um and they become a lot more of like a force of nature at that point yeah they are they're beyond reason they can't be bargained with there's no redeeming them. There's no talking them down because they've taken that option off of the table. That's specifically the thing that makes them the monster. Um, and so it's a bit like running a blizzard or a tornado as your, you know, as your villain. It's going to cause a swath of destruction, but the only thing you can do is avoid it, mm-hmm. weather it, or find some way of stopping it and derailing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and... And that, I think, is why – and this comes back to my circle of this sure. is why this is really not 
great for stories in in at a tabletop because players can't really figure that out and most of tabletop games is about figuring things out yeah it's it's it makes it makes for a less interesting villain mm-hmm. um simply because there is no back and forth Mm-mm. there's just a freight train running towards you yeah and if it runs you over it's going to kill you yeah and it's not going to feel bad about that. The subtitles don't match up with the words. You yeah, know? yeah. It's just like, okay, I guess we fight now? It's, <laughs> it is it is it is the depth of character and the motivations and the back and forth and the possibility of redemption mm-hmm. and the, the drifting between being black and gray and possibly white and back down to gray. And nope, he was a villain all along. We're back to black hat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's the interesting part about villains, mm-hmm. whereas monsters are very one note. They're just freight trains. Yeah. It doesn't mean, excuse me, it doesn't mean that you don't have to answer those other two questions. Mm-hmm. Those other two questions, without a doubt, help you define who they are. We'll give some examples. Sure. Without a doubt, I still think that one of the top examples is the Joker from Dark Knight. Absolutely. The he Joker was... from Dark Knight was by far one of the most perfect monster uh, villains that I've ever seen. Um. Because it is stated by another character why they're the monster. The yeah. most logical and perfect guidance character you could get, Alfred. Yeah, Alfred, uh, brilliantly portrayed by Michael Caine, uh, says it. Uh, he says, because some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. And, and that's, that's it. That... that... One line mm-hmm. is the thesis statement for the entire movie yeah. right there. He has no real resources. He has no real power. He's just creatively one step ahead to his goal. Mm-hmm. And his goal is simple. Nihilism. It's, it's nihilism. He, want, he is a nihilist to the nth degree, and he wants just to show that everyone is just like him. Everyone is literally one one hair trigger pull away from being him. And he proves it, but he communicates it with every act he does. He cares nothing about anyone, including himself. He he proved it by showing that even Harvey Dent, the white knight, is dark, right? He didn't need to prove that Batman was gray. He didn't need to prove that the cops were slightly corrupt. He went to the top of the of the chain of purity, right? And basically said, how can I make this impure? And then how can I get the gray people who don't cross the line? Mm-hmm. Because justice is important to cross the line for him. Here we go. Yep. Make a decision. It's either it's either show that he was the villain and prove to me that I was true, or hide it and prove to me that you're a liar and will lie to the people and justice doesn't actually mean anything to you. What's it going to be? Either way, some system gets broken. Yep, and yep. I did that with a couple bullets and some gas. Yeah, we call that we call, we call that type of character an iconoclist. Yes. Somebody who just wants to tear down establishment and leave nothing but chaos. Because there's no point to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. There's... The, all, he's just, he, he is a painter. He yeah. is painting a canvas, taking a step back and saying, here you go. Like, arguably, Bane tries to do the same thing in the third one, but Bane has reasons for it, mm-hmm. you know? But we, we like, we ask the Joker about that. You know, the, the Joker gets confronted about it, and his, his, I mean, his whole response is basically just like, eh, it's about sending a message, you know? Like, whatever. 
Nothing he says is true. He has no origin story. He comes from nowhere. His clothes are all custom. You can't even tell what he likes, what what brands he buys. And he he has no belief of his own past. He is nobody. Yeah. He is nobody. He just shows up as an unknown entity and just starts destroying things. Mm Mm-hmm. And his and the the only philosophy you ever get out of him is we chaos, mm-hmm. y'all are y'all are just a bunch of monkey brained morons who are just gonna tear each other to pieces, and I can prove it to you. But when I'm done, the proof will be right there before you. Yeah, even long after I'm dead, you're still gonna be staring. Why? at Why we don't know. Funsies. It doesn't matter to him. He, he's a force of nature. Yes. He is a tornado. Yep. You can't reason with him because he doesn't have a reason. Um, Sean is actually asking uh, in, the, in the live chat, well, isn't that counter to what you said about villains needing a reason? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's why he's a monster is he doesn't he because he doesn't have a reason, you know. Uh, that's that's really what puts him in this category and not the like villain category. He's a monster. Correct. Correct. Um, another one that I, I think at first glance doesn't feel that way, but by the end of the series does, and that is Agent Smith of the Matrix. Yeah, late game, late game movie three, Agent Smith yeah. has, has turned over from villain. He's lost all purpose, yep. given completely into rage and... Focus. Nihilism and destructiveness and just wants to kill Neo. He can't even prove to himself why he's doing it. Yeah. He tries to. You can tell that there's like a sense of programming, but he even said, I am like you now. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, he's moved away from logic. That's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. You, it's, it's the break of the like, we do this because of logic. Like, I was here because I was a counter logic to your programming coming into the system and dealing with this now i'm outside of that programming i'm i am no longer having to be logical i can just focus on what i want yeah yeah. and okay you're broken like mm-hmm. you, you've you've monstered it up you've you don't give a crap because nothing matters to you it's all just pointless data and he's just tearing the matrix down around him to get mm-hmm. at neo you know yep. Uh, and it's only because Neo is who he is at the end of that movie that, that he's able to even keep up with that. But he's, like, literally turning the entire world into more Agent Smith, you know? Every virus corrupting another piece of level. And, again, he used can... to be an agent to, to protect the Matrix, which is the ironic twist. Yeah. You know, destroying the thing he once, <clears throat> he once worked to, to uphold. And, and, I, and I say this again. I'm going to – after giving both of these clear examples, these are often not – good elements to have in extended stories where you've got a group of players trying to reach a goal. Yeah. These are survival stories. These are stories that at the end, when the smoke settles and you look around, everything's on fire. You didn't win. The world did get destroyed. Yeah, that's kind of... You're not going to feel good after this. You you don't so much defeat a villain as much as you... Or a monster as much as you survive one. Yeah. You weather the storm. Yeah. And so... Like, in these stories, they need to be shorter. They need to be that... They need to be a ride that Mm -hmm. has a defined timed end. So that when you're done with it, you're like, oh, I'm done with that. Can I go on something less... Less heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it goes on for years or months, 
Like, that's trauma that no one needs at a table. It's it's either that or people become inured to your, to your, to your villain. Yeah. Uh, where they're they just, just like, oh, okay, he's just killing people again. Yeah. I mean, and that's the last thing you want. You want yeah. – you need to keep that level of suspense and tension and concern. So either you dribble it out in small amounts where that monster is a, a side thing that mm-hmm. gets that gets prod in and out because it's there – or it is a specific moment to show a portion of the plot. It, it also, yeah, it. it I think the, the way that they portrayed it with Agent Smith was really great because um, he was. Uh, it was it was his end arc. Yeah, you know, you got to see him progress, and then by the end, he flamed out in into a monster. Correct, and that's again the definition of why you're allowed to destroy him. Yeah, exactly. You know, they it's, just let it go for a little while longer. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't have to redeem Agent Smith at this point. He has shown he's he's a monster. We mm-hmm. can we can just put him down like one. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things they missed out in with the Matrix, and, and maybe I'm wrong because I didn't see it clearly, mm-hmm. but I felt like in the end he became something new that bridged the gap between machine and man. Yeah. And to a degree, Neo kind could have looked at that as like Hey, you're a new life form. I don't want to destroy you. Mm-hmm. Like this is something special. Instead, they just immediately went to a negative, monstrous enforcement of Neo must now destroy this thing without really saying why he feels bad about it. Yeah. Because you, there's like that gray ending where he's trying to figure things out and run away, and then in the end he has to face him. But you never really get the feeling of like what is his feelings behind this. Uh, yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. Um, I I think. I think Smith forced his hand. Oh, without a you doubt, know, without a doubt. It's it's it, it's really difficult to have a moral dilemma when somebody is like literally replicating themselves logarithmically to try to bash your face in. Right, but I'm I'm saying prior to the the logarithmic you know process where yeah. that first connection yeah. point where he's just like I'm like you, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. It's different. Good, good then join us. Exactly. Like, like why wouldn't you, know, you want something different? Right. So. Setting monsters aside. Yeah. Now we're going to put them off to the side and start really talking about good villains. Mm-hmm. Well-written villains. Um, well, hold on. We've we got, we got one or two more types to kind of address here. Because I, I do want to get into, like, villain villain review. But uh, uh, you had some things to say about Kung Fu Panda. You oh! Some to, some... So some villains just straight up have poor direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're like... I, as I like to put it, I have backstory, uh-huh. you know, the doofenshmirtz, you know, where like bad things happened and I just misdirected that energy the wrong way. You know, they're heroes. They're legitimately heroes until a terrible event occurs and that puts them on the path to villainy. Terrible event. What, like a platypus? Perry the platypus? There we go. Um, but like Tai Lung, very first uh, Kung Fu Panda. And I'm, I'm going to say this. Both movies are the same movie. I'll argue on the you on that. But Tai Lung in the first movie literally is a hero. He mm-hmm. is brought in, trained, you know, basically to become the perfect student to his master with all the aspirations, knowing that if he reaches his apex, he can be the chosen one. Mm-hmm. Right. And when standing before it for his final belt kind of situation, like, let me let me be the dragon warrior. Let me be the chosen one. I will do the great things. The master to his master was just like, no, sorry. I mean, it's it's the Anakin story. Like, mm-hmm. there's darkness in this one. We can't do that. And it's like, did you just give me the middle finger without even trying me? Yeah, yeah. And, like, that destroys a person. It it does that. Like, you, you can't just say no to somebody like that. But they do. 
These these mystical masters who know things do this. And he goes on a tirade, literally nuking shit left and right. Yeah. And so they lock him up because that's going to do the right thing. Right, right, right. But it's also like the, this is my protege. I, I can't kill him. Right? Okay, I understand that. Let's lock him up forever instead. Right? So they lock him up. And then what comes of this? The same loop again. Even with with a panda becoming this 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 pointless thing... He can't accept it at the end that it wasn't the other five who who should have been able to stop him as a team, mm-hmm. right? They were totally unprepared. In his eyes, they were teenagers to him. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, you guys did really well, but you're you're not going to be able to stop me. Mm-hmm. You know, and who the hell is this panda? It's a panda. What's this panda doing here? Like, he can't possibly be. And that just infuriated him even more. Yeah. Till the end where he still couldn't believe he couldn't believe it wasn't he got turned into a monster at the end because he didn't. He just couldn't believe that it was Poe that it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Shen, on the other hand, in the second story, literally opens the story with the fact that to do the right thing to show his parents that he is powerful and can do things, he wipes out the thing that could possibly stop him. And they are terrified. They're like, oh, gosh, we have a monster. And he's just like, they're like, get out. And he's like, excuse me? Hmm, callously removing all obstacles between him and his goal? Hmm. Sounds ruthless to me. Yeah, and so he just says, fine, I'm the monster. Mm-hmm. And continues down that path. Yeah, yeah. Until the very end when he's just like, finally, I get to finish off this last this last panda. It's mm-hmm. over now. And, like, it doesn't work out for him. And he's like, how? How? Like, I literally ruined your life. There's no reason like, why. I've scarred you. That's okay. Scars heal. He's like, no, they don't. Scars don't heal. The wounds heal. He's like, what, what, what are scars do? Do they, they fade? fade? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It, like, he, it, it's funny, but at the same time, like, Shen doesn't understand. Right. It, but, like, he's, he's, he's basically saying, like, it's, it's fine. I'll get over it. Like, you can still be redeemed, essentially, is, is the idea behind what he's saying to him at that point of, like, look, you screwed up. But I'll heal. We'll all heal. It's right. okay. We can move past this. You just gotta like basically put down the swords. And and, and he his response is, no, I choose this, and throws a handful of kunai knives at him. You yeah, know? and continues to try and kick his butt. Yeah, and you could tell like at that point he has stepped over into monster. He's given up. Yeah, like he was right on the line up until that point, mm-hmm. and now he is full on monster. Yeah, like yeah, so. Both of those stories hit the same kind of quintessential point near the end. It's mm-hmm. someone who was wronged through the buildup of their life, and at the very end, the end of their of what they think is the where they should be making their final turn to get what they deserve. They get the rug right yanked out from under them. Again. Their destiny is essentially, quote-unquote, stolen from them. Correct. And I, I think they make for both great villains yeah. in that regard. Yeah. Um, and but, if my destiny will not be handed to me, I will seize it instead. Right. So it's it's just a hero yeah. who had their destiny stolen from them twice. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Simple as that. Simple villain. Simple villain. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, the foil. Yes. I think I think the, the, the foil is a super interesting villain type. Now, um, I think a foil, by definition, is just an antagonist. I don't think they have to be a villain. But I think they make great villains. I yeah, agree they make, with it. They make great villains. Yeah. Um, because it, it's so the idea of a foil is essentially someone who um is has a lot of similarities between themselves and the hero. Okay. Now, typically, of course, your hero is one person in the story, but there is you know, 
and you've got multiple people at your at your table probably but um you know so you're gonna have to kind of pick one character to make you to base your foil off of but the foil is supposed to be someone who's basically a dark version of the hero okay and the 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 reason the foil is so effective as a villain is because they show a direct contrast of basically what the hero sh- could have been had they had they woken up that morning and chosen violence. Right. Um, the great example we want to use of this, as loath as I am to uh, use Harry Potter as a good example of anything, which we're going to do again. I will be. Um, we will be because yes. there is actually another really great, uh, really great example. We're, we're coming up right here, next. Uh, is Draco Malfoy? Mm-hmm. Okay, so think about it. You've got a rich kid who's really good at magic, who is the seeker of their Quidditch team. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, he's basically a direct foil to to Harry Potter. Yeah. Often, foils are mirrors of a character, mm-hmm. uh, one of the protagonists, but with just a slight offset. Yeah. One degree shift, if you will. Yeah. You know, whether it's their intention, mm-hmm. whether it's their their popularity, whether it's something else. And we see it in a lot of stories. They're almost equal in so many ways. But this person literally questions, makes the hero question everything. Exactly. And it, and it doesn't have to be like a direct, you know, one-to-one equation. But mm-hmm. it really helps if you do equivalencies, mm-hmm. you know. Um, one of the other great foils, I think, is uh, Gul Dukat in Deep uh, oh, Space Nine, yeah. who's, a, who's a really great foil to Cisco because he is also a commander mm-hmm. who has to make difficult, you know, command and military decisions on behalf of his people and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and tries to push his own political agenda whenever there's any, you know, FaceTime with the Cardassians. It's usually him. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a lot of a lot of similarities that I, I won't get into because we're already kind of running late. So oh yeah, this is going to go long. I'm trying to run run a little quick here, but uh, but yeah, uh, I agree. But it, but it's 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 really great, and this also affords you that great opportunity to drop that famous line of "You are not so different, you and I." Oh God, especially if they're not so different. When the foil I see is the the villain most likely to try to recruit the heroes mm-hmm. because they see these similarities of like you and I, man, look at us. We could rule the world. We're the same. Mm-hmm. I do this. You do this. Yeah. I chose this. You chose this. But like, you know, we could make the same decision here. But they're the ones who are going that taking those extra steps, crossing those lines that the hero never would. Yeah. Darth Maul and Ahsoka do this. For Darth Maul's like, hey, I was let down by my master. You were let go by your master. Mm-hmm. We both were kicked out of our respective orders. Both of us were led to this moment. Just join me and we will finish this. Mm-hmm. We're both on the same path to make this end. Yeah. And in fact, kind of at the same goal, but like you just don't recognize it yet. You aren't willing to accept it. And, and I'll will, show you. I will help you. Yeah. Like, I haven't killed you for a reason, but it doesn't mean I won't spank you on occasion because you're weak, you know, kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. And and that's the difference. That's where things break. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a wonderful to see those foils. It really is. Yeah. Um... So we talked about we were going to do villain reviews. I want to do good villain Let's reviews. Let's do villain reviews. I am going to open with a villain review that I think is one of the finest examples of villain villainy that I have seen. And 
To this day, I look at the movie, and every time I see her, I want to strangle her. And yet, I will. If I saw her on the street, I would applaud her and shake her hand as an actor because she was incredible. And sure, that is sure, Dolores sure. Umbridge. Dolores in, Umbridge in yeah. Harry Potter. She embodied that character so well that she took it so much further than the books. Right, 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 right. Um, to have uh, an embodiment of someone who is in that much control, that much in the right. Yes. That much of perfect self perfection. Yeah, there was. Uh, she. You. You mentioned earlier that 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 one of the great ways to write a villain is basically just to pick one of the cardinal sins and just have them embody it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, pride. Oh, without doubt, pride. Just d- pouring off of absolute her. pride. Okay, and Dolores Umbridge to me like so brilliant because. If you look at just like her aesthetic, especially okay, we, we you know, obviously it's very off-putting to see a very evil person wearing pink and surrounding <laughs> themselves with like little porcelain plates with kittens on them. It's a great break, honestly, and stuff of that. Like, obviously, that's a that's a very off-putting you know juxtaposition. But I think more than that, though, the fact that she was like dressing in pink and just had her little kittens and her little tea set mm-hmm. and everything like that, what that shows is comfort mm-hmm. to me and. When you have someone that comfortable, it's an arrogant sort of sense of control and rightness mm-hmm. of like, no, I, I'm I'm the, the, the bright center of the universe here. Like, I, I'm comfortable where I am. This is me. Yeah. I'm just doing my thing. You need to fall in line with my vision here. Yeah. Oh, and if you don't, that's okay. I'll remind you. Mm-hmm. And she has the level of control. So, like, I'm going to say, what motivates her? Mm-hmm. And and you put it, order at all times. At all costs. Yeah, exa- with, without, and it's her ideal of order. Yes. Even if she's working for someone else, regardless of what that is, mm-hmm. it's her idea of order. And it must be followed without exception. If you follow in the order lines, you're fine. Yeah, she'll ignore you. She'll move right on. She may even praise you. Oh, of course she will. Because you because you're in com- compliance with her order. Right. Clearly, you get it. But not unlike And that's rare yeah. that people understand her. Not unlike Azula. She has that edge of tension the moment you see her in the room because you don't you know something is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You can smell the crazy wafting off of her. The way she communicates this through her motivations is her torment, her torture, but also just her control of a space. The first time you meet her in a scene, in in any of the books, she literally usurps the moment from the most powerful character in the room. Yeah. And he kind of kowtows to the moment and lets her speak. He doesn't have to. Yeah. He clearly doesn't. He He has the authority to do something about it. But he can't for some reason. Because Dumbledore was out of order to her. Correct. And she needed to correct him and bring him into line with her vision. And from that point forward, you recognize that she has social control. Mm-hmm. Because she can be polite and direct. Her words are poignant and to the and very concise. Yes. Yes. And yet at the same time, she has absolutely no compunction about handing somebody a torturous device that will hurt them and say, use this on yourself. Yeah. Until you're done. Mm -hmm. Is there a problem? Are you done yet? Have you learned 
yet. Right. Are you compliant with my vision exactly. of order? And all of that just it should churn your stomach. Yep. And that is the that is quintessentially Oh yeah. the closest you can really get to like almost monster cuz she's not. She is in control. She knows why she's there. She knows mm-hmm. what she's doing. She has lines that she won't cross, but most of those lines sit well within her order. Mhm. And it's 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 a beauty to behold, yeah. honestly. It yeah. really, really is. And again, I the highest marks on the actor. Highest marks, Absolutely. without a doubt. Absolutely. Still, to, to this day, I cannot watch one of those movies and not see her walk into a room and not smile. Like, other movies she's in, I smile because I know the acting chops that are about to come out on the screen. Oh, yeah, okay. I okay, love okay. that. Yeah. I love it. I'm like, hey, that's Dolores again. Hey, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. I like that. So, um, one of your favorites. One of my absolute favorites, Jafar from uh, Les Rob. Yes. Um, absolutely brilliant. Uh, this is how you turn a lawful neutral into a uh, 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 into a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so very much, very much along the lines of Dolores Umbridge. Um, this is a man who believes uh, strongly in order, but mm-hmm. a lot of his conviction comes from. Uh, uh, divine divine right basically mm-hmm. um he he believes very strongly in in law and he believes that the law is an extension of god's will mm-hmm. okay so all of his um all of his belief as a lawman comes from the the idea that basically criminals have fallen from god's grace like lucifer and yeah. he is an agent of god's will in hunting down these criminals and once they've fallen they have fallen and they have fallen exactly um so uh, uh for those who don't know the story basically um uh the, the story is of a character named jean valjean mm-hmm. um who uh before the story begins was a starving man in in uh in france stole a loaf of bread um and was, was and was incarcerated for it in mm-hmm. a labor camp that Javert actually oversaw. Right, and that's how he comes to know Javert. Um, I'm not sure if Javert was the one who brought him in in the first place, but one way or another, that's no. that's where our story begins, is he's he's getting paroled from the from the labor camp. Yep. Um, and uh, Javert basically con- continues to pursue him, Watch him. After, this, yeah. after this, because Javert is firmly of the belief that once you're a criminal, you're always a criminal. That yeah. simply cannot change. There are two types of people in this world, law-abiding citizens who sit within God's grace Mm -hmm. and criminals who lurk in the darkness and have nothing but evil in their heart. And once you've transgressed upon the law, regardless of if that's a a starving man stealing a loaf of bread, you are firmly in the second camp. Yep, exactly. And you are destined for nothing but more evil. Yep. And so he pursues him. And so in in the whole time within that motivational space, he believes he is the good guy doing the right thing because he is doing it under within the law Mm -hmm. under the eyes of God. Yeah, he's he's there. So there's nothing to waver his belief set. But he does have boundaries. He does have guidelines that he's following. And that's where things start breaking down for him. Yeah, but he. He constantly communicates those moments without getting more into the story and what happened. Sure, sure, sure. He constantly communicates it from the moment that you meet him in the story. He doesn't even let Jean Valjean have a name. He, he calls him 24601 through pretty much the entirety of it. Because he's nothing but a criminal given a number. Yes. He is no longer 
human. Exactly. Um, and he does he does refer to him as Valjean. There's a you know yeah a, a handful of times, but usually when he wants to put a stinger on it, yeah, he's he calls him two four six zero one to remind him. Yeah, that he is nothing but a criminal. Almost to remind himself. Yeah, at times as well. If if you know more about the story, again, not going to give spoilers and get far into this, but I think he does that almost as a reminder to himself closer to the end. Yeah, yeah. And so again, that's it's that re embodiment, and also, and, and I'll I'll tie this in with with Dolores a little bit, and that is is that order and godliness are things that sit above them. It mm-hmm. is an ethereal, ephemeral thing that they can reach down and affirm to themselves, but no one else has an understanding of. Right. And and it's also because it is a higher power to them. Mm-hmm. Um uh, or order in the sense of Dolores Umbridge, but uh, but you know tied in with God as mm-hmm. you know with Javert, it becomes a a irreproachable weapon that they can wield. Yeah. Of like, look, I I don't, you know, this isn't me. Yeah. This is order that's hitting you. This is the you know, laws. These are the th- rules. These are the laws. Like you you did this to yourself by stepping out of line. Like yeah. I don't want to do this, but yeah. you kind of brought it on yourself because yeah. you stepped out of these rules, mm-hmm. you know. Out of order. Yeah. Um and Javert meets his end uh uh because his he's proven wrong essentially. Um he he believes Valjean to be this lawless criminal who, you know, if you'll steal a loaf of bread, clearly you'll murder a man in cold yeah, blood. Yeah, like because because that's what criminals are. They all mm-hmm. go in the same bin to him. Yep. And when Valjean doesn't murder him in cold blood when he has the chance to, he has him at his mercy. He has a knife at him, and Valjean basically tells him, "Look, I'm not the man you think I am. I'm not gonna just murder you in cold blood." Here, take the knife. Like I don't care, and walks off. He's like, I'm. I gotta get. I gotta get Marius to the hospital. He's been wounded. Can you, can you just chill for a second? And he leaves. And that was a paradigm breaking moment for for mm-hmm. Javert because he cannot conceive of a world. He is so broken and so deep in his own BS mm-hmm. that he cannot conceive of a world in which Valjean does not kill him in cold blood. Mm-hmm. That must mean he was redeemable. And this doesn't that compute. can't be. Mm-mm. That means God is fallible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he doesn't want to live in that world, you yeah. know? Yeah. So. So two two very powerful characters, very similar, yeah. very powerful. Yeah. I think a, a juxtaposition to that is uh, Silco from Arcane. Mm-hmm. And that is that Silco started out as a hero, as a, a, a person of the people, and remained that. He's a folk hero, yeah, yeah. I mean, realistically, regardless of how broken his past was, he never stopped loving his people. He wanted the underground to come up to the surface and yeah. have the light that they deserved. Silco is the poster boy for ruthlessness in my uh, in, in 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 my in my my book. Yeah, a lot of what he does is not out of malice or cruelty or anything like that. It is quite simply. My goal mm-hmm. is to elevate the Undercity yeah. and raise my people up to the light and make sure that they are never oppressed again by the people in the Upper City, and I'm going to do that at any cost. Yeah. And that's it, – it's a simple thought pattern, mm-hmm. and it's honestly a beautiful one. Yeah. Because it makes it very clear that he is a, he is doing everything he can to be heroic for his people. But he had stepped over the line so many times that he realized, 
I'm the one who has to do this for them. Yeah. I have to cross these lines to make sure that we can get to our end goal. Because every time that I haven't, every time that I've done it the right way, their way, it doesn't work out. So now I'm going to play the backside of their way. I'm going to find their corruption. I'm going to play that game. I'm going to work all of the angles that they work to make their magical world work. And then I'm going to turn it against them. Yep. And we are going to win by strength. Yep. Yep. You can't hate him for that. If you will not give me the power I deserve, I will take... Or not, not, not the power I deserve. If you will not give me the freedoms and the rights... That we that deserve. That we deserve. That my people deserve. Yeah. I will take them from you. Exactly. With a bloody fist. With a bloody fist, yes. And because he is using a, 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 much like the other two, he is using a belief structure beyond him. These are my people, my children. Mm -hmm. You see this even in how he handles Powder, uh, a.k.a. Jinx, mm -hmm. in the sense that he looks at her and even says, I would, uh, I would never have given you to them. Not for anything. Don't cry. You're perfect. Yeah. And it's because he sees himself. He sees that moment that he was given up, that right. he was thrown to the side, right. broken and lost by someone he loved as a brother. Yeah. Even because he went too far. It makes him super sympathetic. And I, I absolutely love a sympathetic villain. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love when the heroes look not with anger or aggression, but rather pity. Yeah. Upon the villain and go, oh, man, you could have done so much good, but you crossed so many lines to get here, man. Even in his end, he mm -hmm. recognizes what's about to happen, that he, he isn't a monster in the room there. Yeah. Jinx is. Yeah. Without a doubt, she is off the deep end. And he is, she's trying to make sense of everything, and he recognizes this isn't going to go well. Yeah, she is three fries short of a happy meal, and... But he also knows that it... There is no free toy inside. <laughs> probably in the end is going to still meet his goal. Like, things are going to break. Yeah. And in that break, things will change, and change will be good in mm -hmm. the end. I'm willing to accept my fate. Yeah. You know, and he does. He yep. just, he just takes it. Mm -hmm. He's surprised, but not... Not like overtly, mm -hmm. not overly. Mm -hmm. um, I think the last one you chose was an is an excellent shift again. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, mind you, I, I'm talking a little bit too about the show, uh, yeah. the, the the TV show a here. A little longer um, history. Little little longer history. A little more chance to to kind of stretch things out here. Um, I eat the rude. Mm -hmm. is kind of the philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, now, he is very much the monster. Yes. Um, uh, and be because, it not not so much like the Joker where he's just an agent of chaos or anything like that. He is the, the like, orderly version of the monster. Um, but there's no pretense that what he's doing is necessarily right. It's a sick kind of justification. Um, but I think he realizes, you know, I, he does realize he's a murderer. Mm -hmm. And such like that. And he he's careful about it. He evades capture when he can. He's intelligent enough to know that what he is doing is um, punishable, but not that it's wrong. You follow? Mm -hmm. There are consequences for what I'm doing, but I don't feel bad about what I'm doing is, is the difference there. Mm -hmm. Um so there's kind of two kind of things coming out of Hannibal Lecter. Um, the first is uh, 
like I said, eat eat the rude. He is creating civility through the destruction of those who he, he deems to be uncivil. Um, to wit, if you are nice to Hannibal Lecter and you are respectful to him, even if you do cross his path, if you apologize for it and show civility and 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 compassion, um, he's fine with you. Like you will never know that this man is a mass murderer or cannibal. Uh, however, if you're rude to him and write him off, um, and, or, you know, show that you don't, that you basically lack the, the, the sort of, you know, civility and common respect for your fellow man and stuff like that, um, you are subhuman to him. Mm-hmm. You are an animal. I mean, again, like Javert, you've, you've stepped off. You're not human. Yeah. You're there's just... only two categories of people. Mm-hmm. There's only two categories of people. And mm-hmm. that is, that is the good people who are civil and the uncivilized animals to be slaughtered and eaten or turned into art pieces. Um, and in a way, the way that he the way that he turns them into fine cuisine or art pieces is an odd way of like posthumously giving them dignity. Of like, if you couldn't be something beautiful in life, you'll be something beautiful in death. Yeah, you'll contribute. You'll contribute to culture. In your death by by becoming an art piece. Yeah. And what's interesting about it is his his framework justification isn't that he doesn't think that there isn't God or anything else that's looking upon it. He just thinks that within that as well, God doesn't care Mm -hmm. or, you know, cares about the same level as he does. Yeah, it's it's interesting. He invokes God in this quote. He says, tell me, well. Did you enjoy it? Your first murder? Of course you did. And why shouldn't it feel good? It does to God. Why only last week in Texas he dropped a church roof on the heads of 34 of his worshippers, just as they were groveling through a hymn? Wouldn't you? He wouldn't begrudge you one journalist. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, most of the time when you hear a villain invoke God... Yeah. Right. It's usually in that sense of like megalomania. Yeah. I am becoming like God because I have all this power or I'm I'm justified by my actions through him. Right. Right. Or I'm justified because but it's it's an appeal to a higher power. It's looking up at Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. and in Hannibal, especially in this quote, doesn't look up to God. Mm -hmm. He pulls God down to his level. Mm hmm. And equivocates with him. Mm-hmm. God murders too. We're no different. Mm-mm. God does this all the time. He's just a he's just a murderer like you and I are. Mm-hmm. What's what's one more? Yeah, exactly. He's he's nothing special. Yeah. In fact, he he's normalizing this. You shouldn't feel bad about it. He can't stand in judgment of you. Yeah. There's a. Uh... There was an interesting point when in our good previous... enough for God, good enough for me is it... what he thinks says in the lecture. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think one of the yeah. things that we we framed up about Hannibal was that Hannibal isn't is not on not unlike Joker in the sense that he makes art mm-hmm. of what he does and lets others interpret it because he wants you to think about it. Yeah, he, he wants... wants to spread his message, right? Without a doubt, but he wants you to he wants you to work at it. You see it in very clearly uh, in the the. Uh, in the uh, the OG uh, um, movie, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's trying to get Clarice to think. He knows she's smart, right. and he's, he's so disappointed when she reaches a a 
simple conclusion, a surface level conclusion. He's like, no, no you're way you're better. So much better than that. Yeah, and that's my my whole part behind that is is that every step along the way, he is a teacher. Yeah, he is trying to instruct e less to the people who don't deserve the education. Yeah. And that's the thing is that he knows those who are deserved Mm -hmm. in his own mind, at least, and those who are not who sit at a level of humanity that he sits at. Yes. And can sit at his table. (laughs) Yeah. That as lightly as I can. But you're you're going to be served, not served. Correct. Right. And that's the that is the gradient difference is that he would not he, he may he may traumatize through his education. He may he may uh, um cause uh, tension and fear mm-hmm. but he's doing that to get you to a point of recognizing yeah it those are find... lessons learned right but not only that but when you're that 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 point you are sharper you are prepared right and then you see you start especially like in the tv show you start seeing the ways in which he starts manipulating will graham mm-hmm. and uh all the weird stuff he starts doing where it's like if will will not go there on his own he will be dragged there against his will yeah, because he he should. Yeah, because he should. He I see the potential in him. But yeah, I, if if he won't make the choices himself, I'll make them for him because he deserves them. Right, because he is better than a decent human being. Yes, he is human yes. in my eyes, and that those are the terrifying people. Like if <laughs> I I dare say, if you can make a Hannibal villain in your game look at your characters and look at them as something more than the world that is around them yeah yeah Ooh, ooh. Knox says murder boyfriends and he's absolutely <laughs> right it is it is a, yes. a twisted romance story every time yeah yeah and yeah you'll you'll see these time and time again these kinds of stories come around and these types of villains so yeah, powerful power. These these four that we put out are are definitely strong ones mm-hmm. that I I highly recommend you you look into if you really want to think about villainy in a different mind frame for mm-hmm. stories. Um, people, our listeners did give us a bunch. We're gonna kind of pounce through these pretty quick. Yeah, we're we're already running a little bit late, and some of these are pretty quick. I think. Yeah, I think I think they're some of these. We're just gonna be like, nah. Yeah, so we <laughs> nah. don't we don't have we don't have questions. We have villains to psychoanalyze. Um, so I'm gonna start at the top. Uh, with one both of us kind of looked at it and went, eh. well, yeah, I I I honestly the 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 first one here I don't know enough about to speak authoritatively on, and that's Doctor Victor Von Doom from Marvel. Uh, personally, I kind of feel he's just a megalomaniac in the end. Mm-hmm. He's he's often too cheaply written to really respect without going through decades of comics. Yeah, the the thing about comic book villains is that a lot of them, especially until recently, were written very much as like, Evil League of Evil, why are you doing this? Because I am evil, so the hero has someone to punch. Or Or their acts are exceptionally cheap. Yeah. 90% of all, uh, and I'll say this, and I'm going to, I'm probably going to get my butt kicked in the comments. Sure. Um, But I feel like 90% of all uh, villains in comic books have a single tragic backstory that often, that they're just trying to manage that one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, whether you're, you know, uh, Dr. Freeze, and you're trying to save your wife, and everything you do is wrapped around that one simple ideal, you know, or... I suddenly figured out that this is how everlasting life is, and I'm going to keep myself eternal, right? The point is, is that you you never get to get away from that. Mm-hmm. Because comics are about canon. 
And once you move away from the canonical story, you start losing the depth of the villainy. Yeah. So yeah. I'll say that much about Doom. Yep. Um, the second one we got, I honestly... Judah from Crow 2. Looking back, I, I barely remembered that movie until we had to go look it up. Yeah, we read the wiki page for him to try to refresh our memory, and we were like, oh, that's why we don't remember him. Uh, and that was because he only ever got a backstory in the novelization. Mm -hmm. uh, in the movie, he was just a drug, drug dealer, dealer who had a thing for the occult. And being an immortal. And kind of figured, yeah, and, and, and wanted to be immortal and saw the, the protagonist become, you know, the crow. And saw that he was also immortal and that the crow is what was making him immortal. So he wanted to steal the crow and become immortal himself. Yeah. Uh, relatively simple. Relatively honestly. simple. Yeah. You know. Um, there could be a lot more story there, but I, I feel like there really isn't. Yeah. Show, show, don't tell kind of didn't come into play there a lot. And yeah. it was just, uh, he, his, his whole wiki page was like, yeah, he wanted to become immortal, wanted to steal the crow. And then they fought and he died. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Sad. Um, Darth Vader. We talked about Darth Vader a little bit. Yeah. We talked a bit about him. I will say he's a well-written villain because it is a, if you go through the entire arc, um, I I have to say that he started very much on the path of a misdirected hero who then lost. No different than uh, Kung Fu Panda 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he fits right in that framework. The difference is at the end, he he wasn't sure where he needed to be. Now, there's a lot of pieces and parts in there, but effectively that's it. He He was wronged at the wrong point in his life by someone who thought they were doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, a powerful force who had a direction in their mind that this is how things needed to be, and he was going to cause a problem, so we're going to protect everyone at the cost of this. Oops. We caused it. Right? So, that's where I kind of feel that Darth Vader fits into, and I know that's a very grand simplification of a very grandiose character, but I kind of feel that's where his arc is. And I'm not saying that that makes him any less of a good villain. Mm-hmm. But I will say that it's it's a very straightforward line. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, my my big thing is, and we, we talked about this earlier, is because I really like that he does resign himself to being the monster, mm -hmm. and in the end, is one of the few monster characters you do see able to be be redeemed. Yep, I agree. Uh, I I absolutely believed his redemption arc. Yeah, uh, and and I loved it. Yeah, and I. I still feel that he fell into the monster category of trying to be a monster by being that intimidating force of of chaotic motion. Mm -hmm. Like, when he walked into a room, you didn't know if he was going to choke somebody, throw someone, stab somebody, but something was going to happen in that room. Yeah, it was, a little, it was like hubris. It was strength and control. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, like, I just need to control every single situation, and I have the, and I have the magical powers to just be able to choke people with my brain. So, mm -hmm. uh... I'm going to do that, and no one's ever going to question me. Yeah. And that's just going to keep order around yep. here. So, cool. Yep. And it, it defined the Sith from that point forward. Yep. So. Yep. Um, we Joker. Talked, we talked we about did. the Joker quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. Madam Solomon from Howl's Moving Castle. It's been so long since I've seen Howl that I don't remember. I think she is the epitome of a, uh, of, of a, of a lawful evil character who is just doing a job. Uh, this is a story where the the like you say the villain is literally just going to have tea until something happens. They're doing their job. That's all they're doing. They're a villain because it's by design that that's what they're there are mm -hmm. until the hero shows up and they're like, 
God, you shit in my Wheaties. <laughs> okay. Get out. Please. Okay, fine. I'm going to now have to deal with you. Alternate title for that movie was Howl the Di- Disaster Bisexual, but they couldn't get that one past uh, Miyazaki. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, But, like, literally all she's doing is trying to manage the war. Like, this is how I need to handle things, right? This is my world. But until it becomes a confrontation, it's not. And that's, I think, the beauty of that type of villain is is that they're just there to be the obstacle mm-hmm. to create the obstacles for the hero right up until the end yeah okay that's fair and realistically didn't stop being the villain at the end mm-hmm. like even though howell went away he again this character this villain still exists yeah nothing yeah, yeah. changed there was no resolution there right <laughs> right right um in fact the story resolved itself around the villain mm-hmm. because of other things so um the Wicked Witch of the West, uh, in uh, the Wonderful Wizard of Oz. I don't, I don't think the Wicked Witch of the West was a terribly deep character. Um, there is something to be said upon like the quote unquote expanded lore given to us by uh, uh, by the play Wicked, mm-hmm. um, where we don't call her the Wicked Witch, we call her Alphaba. Yeah. Um, I don't know a lot about Wicked. I understand she was wronged in some way and that she basically was like, all right, she she had that monster arc of like, all right, fine, I'm going to be the villain then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where she became the quote unquote Wicked Witch of the West. Uh, but if we it, focus on just uh, the, 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 the Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz the, the story is too thin of a villainy to really even take beyond the almost mustached whirling. Yeah, the the whole story was a uh, metaphor, essentially, for life in the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in a lot of ways, she was just kind of a faceless villainy of, like, yeah, I'm the bad guy. I am bad because I do bad things to the hero, to Dorothy. Okay, cool, but why? Because I'm bad. Well, because okay. she dropped a house on my sister, and I want my sister's... Th- All I want is my sister's things. Yeah. You stole my sister's things. Right. Give me my sister's things back. It, arguably, arguably, our protagonist isn't the antagonist of the story. It's it's a property dispute. Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a simple property dispute. It is a simple property dispute that went way too far. Yeah. Um, Voldemort is a much more drawn out character but realistically again i think we're dealing with a character who not unlike shen in kung fu panda had an idea of what was going to make him powerful and keep him in control and something upset that and from that point forward his focus was lost on his target yeah uh lots of lots of megalomania um, oh, without a doubt. The, the the idea that his his way was going to be the new world order, mm-hmm. uh, and he was going to cross a lot of lines to uh, to, to without to, a doubt to get there to make sure that new world order gets ushered in, and that he was at the top of that chain. Um, yeah, and then when he you know was vanquished and and then summarily started coming back because of the powers that he had set in place, um, you see just a lot more of that like control, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be wizard Nazis, uh, but. I think his his root was is I am going to live forever. Now I do that. I am going to be the most powerful wizard ever. I'm going to do that. I didn't kill a child. I can kill anyone. 
what do you mean? And yeah. I think that's I think that's what broke him is that he may, he had reached his goal. Harry is a living mark of his failure and his limitation. Yep. And when you are firmly in the belief that you are an unstoppable force infallible. of nature, yeah. infallible force of nature, because you're a pure blood wizard who is going the, to do things no one's ever at done. The top of his effing game. <laughs> and a baby literally defeats you, mm-hmm. uh, and then that baby becomes famous and starts going to school. You know. Where you went to where, school. Where you went to school, and, yeah, like, that's that's, uh, that's parading your failure and your limitation around, and it's, it's yeah, literally yeah. a monument to, to the fact that you are wrong and a jerk. Yeah, yeah, and everyone who you taught that you were this bad, badass person is now looking at that baby like, burn that child. Yeah. Like, well, let me be the one, and you're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to finish oh, what I'm I started. Oh, I'm finishing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, no, you, no, you, no, no, this is not your job. Right. Holy crap, because if somebody else does it, then I will never have the chance to correct my one mistake. Correct. One mistake I have ever made. Right. And and again, also yeah. like Azula, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen when he walks in the room. You have a belief that he's going to treat purebloods with a bit more respect, mm-hmm. but he's still going to just snap a, his neck. Yeah. Like, at a moment's notice. Yep. Anything else in that room is fair game to discern, summarily be destroyed. Yep, yep. I've got a lot of problem with uh, with, with J.K. Rowling's uh, uh, world building, uh, if we're just going to keep it to Harry Potter. But. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Voldemort, Voldemort, I think, was pretty sound. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I believed Voldemort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got President Snow from, from Hunger, Hunger Games. Games. It is... President Snow is a living embodiment of the status quo. Okay. I think that's a great way of saying it. Uh no, I I did not read the books. Um all I I, read I, I saw some of them. I saw all but the very last movie through uh, a, a while ago, several years ago. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. pardon the fact that my Hunger Games knowledge is neither depth uh, neither deep nor recent. Mm-hmm. But um I I always just kind of saw Snow as just the face of the status quo in the same way the Borg queen is the face of the collective. Okay. You, you need a person to get mad at because you can't be mad at a system and do something about it. A set of ideals or a construct that is, that yeah. is larger. Yeah. The audience, the audience can't get mad at a set of ideals. They can get mad at a person though. Yeah. You I can think... punch a person. You can't punch a system of government. Yeah, and and the thing about him is he in that embodiment he was also beloved in his position by those he had raised alongside of him. You know, he had a following, if you will, um, that weren't under him t- in a totalitarian way. They were there because, you know. Rising tides rise all sh- raise all ships, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that, they're all like, yeah, this is the right thing to do, kind of a thing. Um, so in that regard, I would say that it was, um, it was, he, he sits in that special place where you don't need to have tension when he's in the space. But he still sits in the, I'm comfortable in whatever room I'm in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I honestly don't matter. The status quo will remain long after I'm dead. Yeah. Because there's just going to be another person just like me. 
And you see that at the very end of the story, he's mm. like, I'm going to be burned at the stake. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Because the lady back there who is bringing about the rebellion and building the new world is me again. Mm-hmm. Have a nice day, everyone. I'm just the I'm just the previous administrational face. Yeah, and in and in that that proves him right. It justifies him. If if he is inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. If the next person to replace him is just like him, that means he is inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. That means he's in the right place because all roads will lead to him. Even if it's not him. Yeah. It's it's just him again, you yeah. know? And I think his final smile at the end of the all the stories where Katniss shoots her, knowing full and well that he's going to get wrecked next. Mm-hmm. His smile at that, even though he's about to get wrecked, is him recognizing that's like, oh, I guess the circle is broken. You did do the thing you were saying you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Huh. Go figure. Oh crap. <laughs> you know, but I think he 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 kind of saw her for who she was. Yeah. And he could kind of respect it. Yeah. So, yeah. A- again, like even she knew shooting him wouldn't solve the problem, but he was dead long before her arrow was released. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Um last one here is Dr. Octopus from Spider-Man 2. <laughs> he falls under the standard the, the superhero com- evil comic book villain yeah um he's he's uh nah, i'm evil because generically I'm, focused i do i do science but no you can't do that science i will do the science anyways you yeah. don't you don't understand the science i can control it honestly he falls under the i'm trying to master my problem yeah yeah which is which is to say that's pretty much every comic book villain overall like oh my wife is going to die i can master this problem mm-hmm. or i have an evil symbiont i can master this problem we can master this problem eddie <laughs> we are venom <laughs> dude that version of venom to oh this God, day so i good. <laughs> cannot get over it was it was such a break from what i thought venom was let me eat them eddie <laughs> i love venom more and more every time so i hear good. every single scene from that um I'm not even going to get into him. Venom is a villain. I'm not doing that. Oh, no. Because no, it's he's, there. He's it's a hero. there. He's a hero to me. He's, he's always a hero in my yeah. heart. So, Carnage is a villain. <laughs> yeah. I, again, Knox. Knox said, Doc Ox was more interesting when he took over Peter's body and lived in, lived as Spider-Man for a while. I'm just going to flat out say this. That's comics. Yeah. That doesn't, like, that, that. I didn't even know that happened. Yep. Because in the grand scheme of comics, that's a series <laughs> Didn't know it happened. Also, I believe it. Yeah. Of of course it of happened. Of course it did. Of course they body swapped. Because it, it... Why wouldn't they? What's the reason that that makes any sense in the canonical value of who is Doc Ock? And that is my whole problem with... with, with... Comics in general is just a, a bunch of, like, throwing spaghetti at the wall to see who buys it. Yeah. And if they if it starts selling, you continue with that storyline. And then if you doesn't, just you drop it. Shift a storyline over. Yep. Or completely rewrite the character yep. or do something weird with it. And again, nothing wrong and, with that. And nothing has consequences because we have to keep like we have to keep people coming back for the characters. So yep. like even killing a character doesn't mean anything. It's just Yes. Yeah. Kill so. your darlings. So all right. Next week topic. We have been doing some two oh two workshops where we, we step away from Something that we we had done as a 101 or as a story and kind of take it to ourselves to say, okay, this is this is legitimately how you do the thing Mm -hmm. because we have to. And there's comedy in this (laughs) because we do run into this. 
a little too often, and that is not everyone being at the table. Now, inevitably, you will run into this problem where you're trying to get people to show up and something happens where someone is not going to be there at the last minute. Scheduling is the last boss of every TTRPG. 100%. No matter what storytelling you're doing, that is going to be your problem. So next week, Sarah and I are going to literally challenge each other with how to handle situations. We're going to set something in motion, and then we're going to talk through it. We're going to workshop how to workshop those problems. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do when people don't show up at your table? So... That being said, all right, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, shoot us a couple questions. We'd answer them here in the air, as well as, you know, talk with the other great storytellers that are there on our Discord, bounce some campaign ideas off of them, world building, all that sort of stuff. You can find that link on our Twitter, as well as our website, storyteller, uh, storytellerconclave.com. I can do this. I'm very good. You're very good at this. Uh, we'd like to thank our Patreon members who help support us every single month, especially our named members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulu, and Sean. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcaneanthems or on Instagram. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google, uh, sorry, YouTube music. And our outro music, which is only our footprints in the sand by Midair Machine, you can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much Thank for loving you. and supporting us. All of our friends who sat at our tables over these years to give us these great stories to share with you. Mm-hmm. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you. Good night. Good night.